0: All always excited to have our kids worship with us for part of our services and so uh, guys we are going to dismiss you now you can go and hang out in our children's ministry thanks so much for being with us and uh, we hope you guys have a great morning all right Uh, well if you have your bibles today turn to the book of ecclesiastes chapter 11 and we're going to celebrate god's truth together today Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and as you're turning there this morning, uh, I need to give credit to who credit is due because uh, I was greatly influenced this week by a commentary by Daniel Akin, uh, and so in his, uh, in his words and his commentary through these chapters of Ecclesiastes that we're going to look at, Uh, He really helped put some thoughts together for me, and so uh, I'm going to stand on his shoulders this morning. I just want to make sure that I give him some credit uh, as we begin today, and and just say thank you to him for the work that he did. So Ecclesiastes chapter 11, uh, starting verse 7 and 8, and then we'll read further in just a few minutes. But here's what Solomon says as he writes in Ecclesiastes, he says, "'Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many to come.' Everything to come is meaningless. All right, let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, we love you. We're grateful to you today for your truth. Thankful God for uh, the power that your word holds for our lives and how it instructs us, how it teaches us. And Father, we just want to uh, make sure that today as we come before you, that in these moments we give our whole undivided attention to you, that our hearts are turned to you, and that we hear from you clearly, God. And so we ask that you move in power and speak to us today. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, part of our Thanksgiving week this week included me being with my family, my brother, and my mom and dad, and our families, and so uh, well, what we didn't quite know when we got there was that my dad didn't just have Thanksgiving ready for us to celebrate, he had some work projects for us to do as well, anybody's Thanksgiving turned into a work project weekend, uh, and so uh, my brother and I ended up with my dad in the bottom of the field that he owns, and uh, we had this giant tree about 90 to 100 feet high that was, uh, it was dead, I mean it was gone. And uh, it had been hit by lightning a few times, and it was a real hazard uh, because a lot of it hangs over the road that goes below our house, and a lot of it hangs into the field, and and so uh, we're in a bucket truck, 90 feet in the air, cutting off limbs, cutting off tree branches, and just chopping this tree down, and so uh, it kind of was this huge project, and it took like hours for us to get this thing done, uh, and even at that, we didn't finish the whole thing, so we've got to go back and do it again, and so uh, pray for us, um, but uh, but this whole thing unwound and unfolded, and then. Later Later that night, uh, it was pretty obvious that as we got to the end of the day, my dad, who is a workhorse of a man, he was slowing down. You know, he's getting a little bit older, and so he was slowing down a little bit. And and uh, and then, it, you know, we got back to the house, and everybody kind of showered up and got ready for the night. And then we noticed that dad. You know, he'd sit down, and he'd be like, "Okay, it's time to go get dinner." And as he stood up, it was kind of like, "Oh," you know, it was the painful like you just visibly see. <laughs> it is hard to get up and get going. And more than one time, anybody already tracking with this story feeling like, yeah, I know where you're at. Okay. I got some hands raised. Uh, and so, but dad would say to us more than once, boys, don't get old. It just stinks getting old. Like he, that's one of his refrains, right? And he'll tell us all the time, boys, don't get old. And it's like, if you can stop time, don't get old, don't do it. And that was just kind of part of the refrain of the weekend. And the truth is, is that we all lament aging and slowing down and wearing out and ultimately dying. And yet, that's where every one of us is headed. If life continues to go as it has for thousands and thousands of years, all of us are going to slow down, wear out, age, and ultimately die. But as we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes, we've seen Solomon point out all through the book that death is coming for us all. And if that's the case, then the big life question that we kind of have to wrestle with and struggle with is this. How can I have joy and find meaning in the face of aging and certain death? How can I have joy and find meaning in life in the face of aging and certain death? And so we've gone through this entire book of Ecclesiastes, and Solomon has talked about all of his pursuits under the sun, everything that he's done, and yet over and over again he comes back around to the idea that you're going to get older and you're going to die, and then you're going to be dead for a long time, right? And so. Ultimately, now we get to the end of this book, and we're basically faced with this question, how can I have joy and find meaning in life in the face of aging and ultimately dying? That's a huge question, isn't it? And so if any of you figure it out, please email me, and next week I'll come back and I'll tell you the answer, right? Uh, and so now we're going to pray, and we're going to be dismissed, because that's all, you No, know? It's this huge question, how do I find joy and meaning in life in the face of an apparent aging and a sudden death. And so we're going to be talking through that this morning because all of us need to understand what Solomon has found and what he's going to share with us. And So here's the first thing. If you're taking notes today and you want to follow along on uh, the YouVersion Bible app or write some things on the back of your your, uh, sermon guide there, you can do that. But here's what Solomon would say to us. We must enjoy life as God intended. We have to learn to enjoy life as God intended. And to truly enjoy life, we have to return to an understanding that life only works under the sovereign authority of God. That if we're going to be honest, and if we're really going to enjoy life, we have to do it in the way that God intended. And that if we're going to really enjoy life and get meaning out of life and find happiness in life, we have to understand that it only works under the sovereign authority of God. That's what Solomon's been trying to help us see as we've studied the book of Ecclesiastes. He tried everything to find meaning in life and happiness in life. Remember his pursuits? I mean, Solomon pursued pleasure that was unequaled and unbridled. He worked. He was philanthropic. He was a governor, the king of Israel. He was wealthy. He had wisdom beyond compare. The list goes on and on and on of all the things that Solomon did. But in the end, Solomon found that life only works and there's only true meaning in life when you put yourselves under the sovereign authority of God and you do life his way. See, God's given us instruction for how to live. We have to then choose, are we going to abide by the rules, the laws that God has set up, the things that he says is best for us as the sovereign authority over the universe, that he's instructed and said, this is how life best works. Are we going to submit ourselves to that? Or are we going to say, I think I know better than you, God, so I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to pursue my own path. And so when we get to the end of all of this, in the end, Solomon found that life only works and the true meaning of life can only be found when we put our lives under the authority of God. Do you know why that's true? Because we're all going to die. And there is a life beyond this life. And so when we need to answer this question about saying, will I submit to the sovereign authority of God, we do that because we know that this life is not all there is. That there is a life beyond the sun, over the sun. That we're ready for, living for, hoping for, praying for, and that in the end of all things here on this earth, we will obey God and live under his sovereignty because there's a life beyond this one that is more important than the life we're living even now. And so we put ourselves under the authority of Christ. So I want us to spend the rest of our time together this morning looking at what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 11 and 12. He gets to the very end of the book, and he looks at the brevity of life and what to expect as we approach aging and death. And so I just want us to walk through some things this morning, starting in Ecclesiastes 11:7. And so Solomon writes this, and says, Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. So in verse 7, Solomon says, Light is sweet. It pleases the eye to see the sun. Now in Scripture, light and life are often paralleled in the same way that death and darkness are paralleled. And so when he says that life is sweet and it's pleasing to see the sun, he's talking about the joy of life. And he's basically saying that we are to live life and to see life as a good gift that we're intended to enjoy. And so if you're writing some things down and want to keep up, that's the next thing we see here. Life is a good gift that we're intended to enjoy. Now, life is filled with drudgery and joy. And because life is fleeting, he says, so learn to enjoy it all. Learn to enjoy the good times. Learn to enjoy the bad times. Learn to enjoy the times that are easy. Learn to enjoy the times that are difficult. Find meaning and hope and purpose in life because every stage of life has purpose and meaning. And so what God would desire us to understand is that we are intended to enjoy it. Every stage of your life should be something that you enjoy without wishing for the next stage. Have you ever found yourself in that place where you're always wishing for the next stage of life? Right? Like single people, enjoy being single. That's a stage you're never going to get back again. I hope you never get back again, right? Like, enjoy that time. You will never be more free to follow Christ and do what he asks you to do than you will when you're single. Married people, enjoy being married. Understand that every stage of married life is good and has purpose. The honeymoon stage is great, right? We love that newfound love of, of being young marrieds and newlyweds. I've done a lot of weddings this past year, and it's incredible to see the love that these young couples share but you know what? There's deeper depth and meaning beyond the honeymoon stage that you won't get if you stay in that environment. So move forward. There's great uh, enjoyment to be found when you start having kids and you enter that stage of life. There's great joy and excitement to be found in the empty nester stage of life and when you move into that stage. And then there's great joy and excitement to be found in the retirement stage. So enjoy every different stage Stay in the moment and don't wish for the next thing to come without enjoying where you are now. Because they're fleeting, they'll be gone, and you never get them back again. Do you have kids? Then enjoy it. They don't stay little forever, right? We've had this epiphany lately that our son is 10 now. He is over halfway through of living in our home before he'll go off to college. And we're freaking out a little bit. It's like, have we done everything that we were supposed to do in these early years to prepare him for life and get him ready for life? And we've only got eight years left before we're going to launch him out into the world. We want to enjoy this time as parents with our kids. And so enjoy, enjoy that stage because you'll never get them back. And don't forget, parents, that your primary responsibility at this stage in life with your kids living under your roof is that you are to be the primary disciple maker for your home. That your responsibility is to raise your kids to know, love, and follow Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so take advantage of the stage you're in because once they're gone, you don't get that opportunity back again. So take advantage. So we look at all kinds of things in our lives. Are you employed, unemployed, healthy, sick, young, old, you name it? Enjoy the stage of life that you're in. Ask God to show you the phase of life that I'm in, the stage of life that I'm in. God, Help me to enjoy it, knowing that you're sovereign over everything, that I'm not here on accident, that you knew that I would be in this stage of life. So what do I do in this place, at this time, at this stage of life, to make you known and to live under your sovereign authority? So ask God to show you how to do that. And here's why Solomon wants us to enjoy all of our days, because he says in the next, the next verse, because death and darkness are coming, and they outnumber the days of life. Look at verse 8. It says, let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Right, so Solomon at this stage, he's not writing with an eternal perspective. When he talks about the days of death are going to be many and this is meaningless, he's not looking at life with an eternal perspective of life over the sun. He's still thinking about the idea that once we die, and everyone will, that we'll return to dust and that's where we'll lay forever. Your body will be physically interned and you will be dead for much longer than you're alive. Your span of years will be short compared to the potentially hundreds of years or thousands of years or whatever it is that you'll be dead. And so Solomon, from that perspective, as he's looking at life and says, we live and then we die, and death is much longer than life. And so he's writing, he's saying, remember the days of darkness because there will be many. And since that's true, we ought to live with no regrets. Do you have anything that you look back on in your life already and you kind of go, man, I just regret that? Maybe it's something dumb that you did. You're like, oh, I really regret that. That was a bad decision, bad move. I shouldn't have done that. Maybe it's a regret from something stupid that you did. Maybe you have a regret, though, of, of things that you didn't do and that you look back and go, oh, my gosh, I wish I had done that. I wish I had known that at that time of life. I wish I had been able to to do that thing. And maybe you have a regret for things that you didn't do. And so Solomon's telling us, remember the days of darkness because there are going to be many. So don't look back at life and live with regrets. So how can we live with no regrets? Well, Moses gives us some insight into this idea in a psalm that was recorded. It's a prayer, but it's recorded in Psalm chapter 90. Uh, I bet you didn't know that Moses had a psalm, did you? And so Moses wrote a, a prayer, and it was recorded in the book of Psalms. And so he's telling us in this in this prayer that he wrote out, uh, it's all about living and dying. In fact, Moses says in the psalm that our days are numbered to 70 years, 80 if we're strong enough. Now, modern medicine helps some of us move past that and live longer than 70 or 80 years. But on average, that's kind of the lifespan. 70, 80 years is a good life. And so in Moses' writing, he says, uh, the idea behind this is that we're not going to live forever. Our days have been limited to a, a number of years. And so as he points out some things in, in this psalm, Psalm chapter 90 verse 12, Moses helps us to look at some things and say, how do I not regret or have regrets as I look back at my life? Look at verse 12. He says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We can't live as if we're immortals. We have to live with this understanding, and Moses is telling us not to have regret at the end of our lives. To do that, we need to understand how to number our days. That we look at life and we say, if there's brevity to this, there's a shortness to this, and I need to come into life with an awareness as I mature and as I grow up, I need to have an awareness that life is going to end, and to not look back at the end and have regrets, I need to number my days. I need to be able to look at things and say, God, help me to, to limit my my view of the bigness of the immortality and narrow it down to an idea that I'm only going to have a short amount of time. So help me to do the things in this block of time that you've allotted for me. Help me to live to my fullest here. It's kind of like the checkoff you're getting ready to do at Christmas. We start the 25 days of Christmas and maybe if you have kids especially, you're going to have some little thing in your house where you're going to you know, check a box or mark something off or pull out something. It's going to be the 25 days, right? And you're going to be leading up to that big day of celebration on Christmas Day, December 25th. Maybe that's what we need to think about our life being like, that we wake up every day and go, that's another day. I want to check it off my calendar. I don't want to miss anything today. I want to make sure that I do everything today to the fullness of my capacity and my potential. And I want to ask God to show me how to number my days because what if this is it? I don't want to live with regrets. I want to live with the idea that God has given me a certain amount of time and I want to take full advantage of it. In fact, Moses says that when we do that, it helps us to gain a heart of wisdom. Teach me, Lord, to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. That's what we need to ask God for. God, will you help give me a heart of wisdom so that I can number my days, so that I can see the limited time that I have here on earth and do everything possible under your sovereign authority to live my life for you, to find meaning and joy and purpose and happiness in this life today because this is the only day that I have. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. So God, help me to number my days. And give me a heart of wisdom. So here's the next thing we see from Solomon back in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 11.9, He says, You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. So here's what I would say about that. Don't postpone enjoyment until a future time. It says, You who are young, enjoy your youth. Be happy while you're young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Don't postpone enjoyment until a future time. I want you to notice that he instructs us to be happy, right? But happiness isn't something that comes without boundaries. And so he's going to command us and say, when you're young, use your youth, enjoy your youth, go for it, have a blast, be happy. But happiness always comes with boundaries, right? The greatest things that you'll enjoy in life are always with boundaries. And we don't have to look any further than Solomon's example to see that that's true. Solomon, excuse me, Solomon was a guy that removed boundaries and just said, I'm going to pursue and chase after everything. I'm going to sleep with as many women as I can. I'm going to gain as much money as I can. I'm going to do everything that I can possibly think of. I'm going to deny myself nothing. You remember when Solomon said that? I denied my heart nothing. Anything my eyes saw, I pursued. Solomon said, I removed all of the boundaries. And you know what I found? I didn't find happiness, I found meaninglessness. Everything was meaningless. I pursued everything to the fullest extent, no boundaries, and I wasn't happy at the end of it, because God wasn't at the center of the pursuit, and so I found meaninglessness. And so when we think about this, we need to understand that happiness isn't found in our boundaryless living. He says we find meaning instead when we place ourselves under God's sovereign authority. God gives us parameters in which we can best live life under the sun, and a truly happy life is lived under God's guidelines. Here's the next verse. It says, follow the ways of your heart. I believe this is the end of verse 9. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that these things, for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And so Solomon is telling us, recognize that judgment is coming. Enjoy the prime of your life with the awareness that God will hold you accountable. Judgment is coming. There is accountability. God sees all, knows all, and he says, you enjoy your life, but do it in such a way that when God holds you accountable, that there's not condemnation on the other end. Do it under the authority and the sovereignty of God. And that's a sobering reminder, isn't it? He's basically saying, have fun in life, follow your heart, whatever your eyes see, do it, but don't go too crazy because God is watching you and he'll hold you accountable. Another story from this weekend when we were sitting one night, Friday night, uh, and just telling stories uh, with my family, and, and we're all just kind of talking about our childhoods and different things that we did, and how terrible Phil was as a kid growing up, and uh, and I got a chance to kind of tell a story uh, about um, about something that I had done that I'd never shared with my parents before, and I had always wondered, did my dad know? that I had done this and just let it slide or did he have no idea? And so I kind of felt like now as a 38-year-old man that it was probably the statute of limitations had passed and so I could share the story openly. And so uh, so I just asked him, I said, hey, did you know, um, did you know about the car ride that me and my best friend took? And uh, my dad owned a, a car dealership when I was in college and he had a, a Plymouth Prowler, uh, this really nice Plymouth vehicle, looked like something from the 50s, but in the 2000s or 90s or whatever. And so, uh, and he kind of went, yeah, no, I don't think so. And I said, "Well," You brought a, a Plymouth Prowler home one night, purple, the whole deal, like the nice Plymouth Prowler, and it was sitting in our garage because I was driving it in a homecoming parade for a girl at my high school. Uh, I, I guess he felt safe with me going like five miles an hour in a, in a homecoming parade in the Prowler. And so. But it was sitting in my, my garage that night, and at about 2 a.m., my best friend and I said, Hey, man, you think we could take a ride in the Prowler? Like, let's see what that baby can do. And so we knew if you crank that thing up, it's got a huge engine. And if it's in the garage right underneath my parents' bed, you don't crank it up in the garage right under your parents' bed, right? So we raised the garage and we pushed that thing as far from my house as I could possibly get it. We crank it up like the engine just roars to life and we just take off and we go joy riding at 2 a.m. on country roads back in Russellville, right? And so we're just hanging out, loving riding the prowler. We get it back and it's way harder to push it back into the garage at night. And so I just lived in fear the whole time though that while we were gone we're going to raise the garage back up and my dad's going to be standing there waiting for us like in the place where the prowler should be. And so we get there and he's not, he's not there. And so we push it back in, and as far as we know, we've completely gotten away with it. Dad never knew, and as far as I know to this day, he did not know when we told him the story the other night. And so the whole point of this is that I felt okay telling my dad that story because years later, what's he going to do about it now anyway, right? He's not going to ground me, take my keys away, throw them in the freezer. Like, that's not going to happen at this stage in life. So I can share this story because he can't do anything. So why am I telling you that? Well, because God is not that way. There are things in your life that right now you may feel like you are getting away with. God's not seeing it. He doesn't know. I'm getting away with it. Nobody. There's no consequences. But Solomon tells us, enjoy your youth, but know that a day of judgment is coming where God will hold you and me accountable for everything that we did. So we need to have placed our lives under the sovereign authority of God to say, in Jesus and in Jesus alone, I have freedom. Where Romans 8, 1 tells me that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of death has been set free by the law of the spirit of life. So when we think about this, we look at that passage and we go, God's not going to condemn those of us who have found our hope, found our peace, put ourselves under the sovereign authority of Jesus. But if you have not placed yourself in that position, then Solomon warns us and says you need to know and be aware and understand that when you die, a day of reckoning, a day of judgment is coming. God is watching. He is keeping track. And he will bring to judgment all of our actions and deeds. So now we get to the final chapter of Ecclesiastes, and Solomon records a poem about life and death. And I just want you to look at this with me, starting in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. It says, remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. Days of trouble refers to aging and ultimately dying. And he says, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you'll say, I find no pleasure in them. So Solomon tells us, remember your creator in the days of your youth. That statement, remember your creator, means to trust him, to obey him, and to walk with him. That's what it means to remember your creator. As you're going through life, remember your creator. Keep God front and center. Make sure he's center stage. Make sure he's on the throne of your heart. Make sure God is the number one priority. Trust him, obey him, and walk with him every single day of your life. And so Solomon tells us, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Uh, And so for some of us, you go, man, you know what? I didn't come into Christ in my youth. I came to a relationship with Jesus much later in life. Well, better late than never, right? And so it's good that you're here in this place where you're saying, "I, I didn't walk with Jesus in my teen years, my childhood years, my early 20s, but I've come to faith in Christ now. Great. If you did have the advantage of growing up in a Christian environment, of knowing Jesus from the time that you were young. You're growing up in that stage of life now. You're a teenager, a 20-something, and you're growing through that stage right now where you're saying, what does it mean for me to, to walk with Jesus through this day, through these times? He says, you remember your Creator now. Walk with Him. Trust Him. Obey Him. Keep Him front and center in everything that you do. Why is that important? Because we're all moving toward this elderly stage of life. And so he's saying it's easier and better to learn the lessons now of life following Christ, to gain experience of being a Christian, to know how to follow Christ, to build a relationship with Him, to learn how to trust Him, to learn how to obey Him, to learn how to walk with Him, so that when the more difficult days come in your elderly years, that you don't doubt God, that you don't despise God for the things that happen, that you don't mistrust God but that you're able to say, I've walked with you for years. I know you. I'll remain faithful to you through everything. And so we do this from the earliest days possible for us. And he's going to say, man, don't miss out on this because the days are coming when your mind and your body are going to begin to fail you. Here's the rest of the poem that Solomon writes. It's written apocalyptically in nature, uh, and its point is that we all die. And so your world will end in death. So what will you do before you die? That's basically the nature of the poem. If everything is moving toward death, what are you going to do before you die? Here's Ecclesiastes chapter 12, start in verse 1. Read that again. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and when the looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors of the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds but all their strength grows faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go into their eternal home and mourners go about the streets." Remember Him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Now there are three before statements in this poem that I want us to look at, but they're all saying the same thing. There's three statements, but they're basically all saying the same thing. If we're all going to die and age is coming for us, here's what you should do before that time comes. So look at these three statements with me. Number one, he says, turn to God before evil days come. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, turn to God before the evil days come. The evil days, again, that's talking about aging, Is talking about death. He's going, these days are hard, they're evil, it's difficult, and then they're gone, and what are you going to do when you're dead? So he says, return to God before the evil days come. Here's why, because there are no chances to turn to God after death. You don't get to stand before God after you die, facing His judgment and say, oh, now I believe in you. Now I see you. Oh, you really are real. Oh, this stuff wasn't just made up. Oh, the pastor wasn't just telling us crazy stories about this whole faith and salvation and eternal life thing. This is real. Now I believe. You don't get that opportunity. It says you turn to God before the days of evil come. Jesus is a decision you have to make now. It can't be put off until after you die. When you're standing in front of him. Here's the second thing he says: Turn to God before the astrological lights go out. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, Solomon's poem is highly metaphorical, as these next lines will show. And he's saying to turn to God before your eyes dim, before there's a loss of mental capacity. And so, if you go back and look at, uh, at verse uh, verse two, he says, "Before the lights go out, uh, excuse me, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, and the clouds return after the rain." And so Solomon is kind of going, hey, you know what? Senior moments happen, right? I mean, like, for some of you, it's happening more and more frequently, isn't it? And so it's like, hey, I, I know. That's the first amen I've gotten all day. Thanks. <laughs> <clears throat> but these moments come, and it's like this is this moment, and the sun and the moon and the stars and the clouds, they're referencing your ability to see clearly, your ability to think clearly. He's going, the, the sun is getting dimmer. The moon isn't as bright. There's clouds that come in. You can't quite see well. Your mind's getting foggy. There's a hazy mind, hazy eyes. Things are getting more difficult. And he's basically saying you need to turn to God before all of these things start to happen. Before your physical capacity diminishes and before your mental capacity diminishes. Turn to God. Learn how to walk with Him. Learn how to trust Him. Look at some things that he goes on to say. He points out in the next few verses that everything in our body is going to break down as we get older. Verse 3 When the keepers of the house tremble, those are your hands. So the keepers of the house, the things that you use to pick up, they're going to start shaking. You're going to go through life with shaky hands. But do this, turn to God before the keepers of the house tremble. And the strong men stoop. He's talking about our legs and our knees. We lose power, we start to slump, our spine curves. And we start to lose the ability to stand upright and straight with power and dignity. And he goes, these are the things, the the keepers of the house, the strong men, are your legs and knees and your back. And he then says, and when the grinders cease because they're few. Y'all know what that one is, don't you? The teeth are falling out. So now you've got the dentures and the whole thing, right? And so my kids, we love to watch AFV, and I just cringe every time. There's an old grandma that's 150 years old, and she blows out a candle on her cake, and her teeth come out with the blowing of the candle, and now it's like, I'll just have ice cream, thank you very much. Uh, And so, but this is that moment where he goes, you've got to turn to God, because the grinders will cease, they become few, they fall out, and those looking through the windows grow dim. What's he talking about? Your eyesight. You're looking out of the windows of your, of, your, of your body. Your eyesight starts to grow dim. They fade. Verse 4, when the doors to the streets are closed and the sound of grinding fades. That's your hearing. The doors to the streets, what you can hear, people coming, the walking, the footprints behind you, the steps that are coming, goes, all that's going to fade away. You're not going to be able to hear well anymore. And when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. This is us as we get older. Anybody waking up a lot earlier now than you used to? It's Like, I'm up with the birds. I can't hear the birds singing, but I'm up with them. Like, here we are. We are out here. You know, maybe some of the reason you get up so much earlier is because you're having dinner at 4.30 at Denny's now, and then it's to bed by 8, and now you're up at 6 or 5 or whatever it is. And it's like, here we are. I mean, I had my early bird special, and now I'm going to be up with the birds. I can't hear them singing, but I'm there with them. He's basically just saying, look, there are going to be things that happen in our life that... We, we rise to the birds, their sounds grow faint, we can't hear them. And so Solomon goes on to point out other issues with aging. Verse 5, he says, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, the older you get, the closer you want to stay to the ground. I don't, we don't want anybody falling and breaking any hips and stuff. And so he's like, man, here's the deal. I just want as close to the ground, no quick turns, no jostling. I'll, you know, ride slower in my car. I'm going to drive at 15 miles an hour now, even though the speed limit is 65. And so I'm just going to keep it as safe as I possibly can. Stay on the ground. And then he says this and uh people are afraid of heights and the dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms, he's talking about your hair, he says your hair is gonna turn white, it's gonna blossom like the olive uh like the uh, uh the almond tree, but then what happens after the blossoms? They fall off the tree, right? And so he goes, You're gonna have white hair and then you're gonna have no hair and so welcome to old age. And so here we are at this moment. Some of you are, you got there, congratulations. Uh, And so he's just saying basically when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along. What in the world does that mean? He's basically saying you just have little strength left. I mean the grasshopper is small. It shouldn't take a whole lot to move the grasshopper but he's going out. It's small but it's dragging itself. That's us in our older age. We start to have diminished physical capacity and we're not as strong as we were at one point in time. And then he says and desire is no longer stirred. He's talking about sexual desire and Solomon, like a typical man, put that last on the list. That was the last thing to go. But he says, man, there's no desire any longer. And so uh, then he says, and then the last thing is, then people will go to their eternal home and mourners will go about the streets. After all of this, after you get to this stage of life, he looks back and he says, then you die and people mourn you, and then you're no more. You're just gone. And so Solomon's is telling us, turn to God before everything breaks down, before the lights go out for good. Turn to God. Give Him your life. Here's number three. Turn to God before the life-sustaining systems no longer function. Turn to God before the life-sustaining systems no longer function. Verses 6 and 7. He says, remember Him, remember God, before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. And so verse 6 is talking about it's items that are used to draw water from a well. This is life-sustaining gift that God gives to us of water, right? He goes, so water is necessary for life. And so these things that we need to do is to turn to God before our life-sustaining systems no longer function. He says, "The, the silver cord is severed, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the spring, and the well is broken. Here's the interesting thing that I found about this passage is that when you think about that, like how many wells has anybody, probably none of us have drunk from a well anyway, but have you ever thought about a well that has a silver cord and a golden bowl and a crystal glass, right, or crystal bowl to draw from? And so as he says this, he goes, what I want to point out is that all of these are precious and that life is precious. We hold life in high regard, but not only do we think about the general general life in high regard, but your life is precious. So it says you need to make things right before the silver cord is broken, before the golden, uh, let me go back and reference this, before the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered. The pitcher would represent something that's Fine like crystal that would shatter. Most of the time, if you think about a clay jar, clay, uh, something that's heavy and thick and, and it would be sustainable to hold the water. But this one shatters easily like crystal. So he says, your life is precious and you only get one. So make it count. Make it count. How? By turning to God. Before all of these things hit, turn to God. In verse seven, Solomon tells us our body is going to return to the ground and our spirit will return to God. And we're all going to die. Isn't that great? Death's sting should draw us to action hopefully to follow Jesus why does he make such a big deal of death why does he write a whole poem about aging and dying because as we see all these things unfold all of these things death's sting should draw us to action hopefully it'll point you to Christ that's what Solomon has been doing this entire time Because outside of a relationship with Jesus, death is the ultimate meaningless part of life. Because if you get to that part where you die, and Jesus isn't part of your life, that is the most meaningless thing you could possibly experience. Because when you face God, and He has to send you away from Him for eternity, you're really going to understand the importance of life followed by His sovereign grace. And so He wants us to see how He's pointing us to Jesus. And you go, wait a minute. I didn't see Jesus referenced or mentioned anywhere in that book. Where is Jesus in the middle of all of this? How do we see Jesus in Ecclesiastes? Look at the next verse, verses 9 through 11. So not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. And so we see here Solomon was wise and with his wisdom he's pushing us to a meaningful relationship with God. And his words were wise like goads. And I don't know if you know what a goad is or not. I didn't. I've read it in the Bible several times but I never really thought to look it up for whatever reason. Uh, but this week as I was studying I went, okay, i got to know what a goad is. What is a goad? Do you know what a goad is? It's basically a stick with spikes on the end of it that cattle herders would use to spank their cattle, to prod them, to goad them, to go where they wanted. And so he's basically saying as cattle herders will keep their cattle on a path into the right pens, into the right places, in the same way the words of the teacher, the wise one, has written this entire book, In order to goad us toward an understanding that if you do life without God at the center, it will all be meaningless. But if you'll turn to God, you'll find meaning in Him like you've never dreamed before. And so he's basically saying, I want to goad you toward a relationship with Jesus. And you still might go, well, but where's Jesus here? I still don't see Jesus in this. Look at the last sentence. The words of the wise are like goads, they're collected saying like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. In the Old Testament scriptures, anytime there's a reference of one shepherd, it's always a messianic prophecy pointing toward the one that God had ordained to be the Messiah of his people. And so what Solomon is writing is saying, I am trying to goad you toward the one shepherd. I want you to know that the Messiah is coming. The one who will take the sting of death from us. The one who will make sure that our lives don't just end up in the ground, but that our spirit will return to God and be with Him forever. The one shepherd, the Messiah who's coming is going to take the sting of death on Himself so that we can know life, real life, full life, meaningful life. And so Solomon is saying in the the middle of all of this that when we get to the end, We need to be following the one shepherd. Here's one last thing that we hear from Solomon and then we're done. Verse 13, he says, Now all has been heard, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commands, for all of this is the duty, or for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or good. Or whether it's evil so he gets to the end he says the end of the matter is the answer to the big question you remember the big question how can i find joy and find meaning in life in the face of aging and certain death and solomon says the end of the matter is this fear god keep his commands live in a righteous relationship with god honor him exalt him have a reverential awe and fear of him and keep his commands do what he says that's how you find meaning and purpose in life. There's no meaning under the sun without God at the center of everything you do. So here's the question. Is Jesus at the center of your life? Does Jesus have the throne of your heart today? Is He at the center of everything? And if not, would you today commit to Him that He He would become the Lord and the Savior of your life? That you would say, I've tried to find meaning in everything else and it's not there I need someone else to help me find meaning. Jesus is the answer. And so this morning, if you would give your life to Christ, there's a couple of ways that I would kind of ask you to think through this and respond to this this message. The first is that if you take the connection card on the bottom of your uh, uh, your bulletin there, your sermon guide, and on the back side of it, there's a place that says, "I want to know about becoming a Christian. Or I want to be a Christian." If you would just check that box. And at the end of the service today, either bring that to me or place it in one of the boxes, the giving boxes on your way out. We want to make contact with you so we can talk with you about this this relationship with Jesus. The second thing would just be come and find me after the service or one of our staff, one of our team, and just say, hey, I want to know what it means to be a believer in Jesus. We'd love to talk to you today about that. The third thing is just simply this. You can skip all of that and just go straight to God, that you can go straight to Him today. And in prayer, we don't have to do anything for you. We can't save you. Only God can do that through the person of Jesus and under the call of the Holy Spirit. And so you could go right now as we sing this last song and just say, God, I want to be yours. I want to find meaning in life. I want to to have my sins forgiven. I want to change the direction of my life, and I want to pursue you. And today could be the day that you surrender your life to Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you because you've offered us life and hope. Many of us in this room have already found it, but there are still others maybe who have not, who haven't put you at the center of everything and that need to. God, my prayer has been and is now that today will be the day that people come into a faith relationship, a saving relationship with Jesus. To understand that you are the one shepherd. You are the one who took our place. You've taken the punishment that we deserve. The judgment that God has held for us for our deeds have already been placed on you, Jesus, at the cross. You've paid for them so that we can be forgiven of those things and not have to worry about standing before God on the day of judgment. And so I just pray, God, that there would be people in this room today who would trust you as their Savior. And then that, God, the rest of us who have already done that, that we would walk with you. We would remember you all of our days. And that we would make you the central, most important thing in our life. Love you, God, and ask these things in Jesus' name. I love what Joel said about.